While the choir makes their way down, would you join me please just in prayer? Father in heaven, as the chorus still plays, we just want to thank you and praise you for being a God whose wondrous love causes us to sing. Thank you for loving us that much. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Would you open your Bibles, please, to the book of Hosea? Hosea is the next prophet in our drive-by series on the prophets that um, we're going to take a look at this morning. And um, to get us started, I'm wondering if um, any of you have witnessed, either in your own families or out and about the community, the, a story like the following, like actually happening. Have you ever seen um, uh, a little boy or a little girl just try to express in words how much they love their mom or their dad? Picture this. Picture a little boy um, talking to his mom, and the boy's sitting there, and the boy comes up to his mom and says, Mommy. She says, yeah. He says, I love you. And the mom replies, oh, I love you too. And the boy sits there for it a bit, noodling that in his head. And then his brow furrows because somehow it just wasn't enough. Even though those words, I love you, are powerful. It wasn't powerful enough for him to express just how much he loved his mom. So he tries again. He says, Mommy, I love you very, very much. And the mom replies, Oh, sweetheart, I love you very, very much too. And still, still, the little boy didn't quite feel satisfied with his expression of his love to his mom, tries to find the words. And so then that toddler pulls out all the stops, right? Have you seen little kids do this? He says, Mommy, Mommy, you want to know how much I love you? I love you this much. Right? Have you ever seen a little kid do that? You know, not just this much, not just this, but this much. I love you this much. If there's only one thing that you take with you today from our study of the book of Hosea, I hope it's that, that our great God is forever standing there in front of each of us and all of us with his arms stretched as far as the east is from the west, a big smile on his face, joyful tears in his eyes, saying, my children, my child, oh, I love you this much. And if you're like me, you might say, really, in the book of Hosea? 
One commentator, one commentator I read this week makes this remarkable statement. I know of no book in the Bible, she writes, that portrays the fierce love of God as compellingly as the book of Hosea. And I read that, and my first thought was, really? Are you sure you don't mean the Gospels? Or maybe one of John's letters? Hosea? And then as I dug into Hosea again, I started to think, you know what? She might be right. That might just be right. Let's see what you think as we take a little closer look at Hosea. First, some historical background, which I really should have given you last week. I apologize that I didn't, but you may recall, if you've studied the history of Israel before, that in or around the year 931 B.C., following Solomon's death, Israel split into two kingdoms. A southern kingdom consisting of two tribes, Judah and much of Benjamin at least, and a northern kingdom consisting of those other ten tribes. The Bible often talks about the south as Judah and the north as Israel after the division, but you need to be careful because sometimes Israel after the division means both. You have to look at context, but those two Kingdoms emerged in 931, dividing Israel after Solomon's death. And you may also know, if you've studied Israel history, that some 200 years later, in 722 B.C., Assyria, as part of its world conquest, came into Israel and absolutely destroyed and wiped out the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom remained due to the faith of its king, Hezekiah. It's a different story for a time in the near future when we talk about Isaiah. But for purposes this morning, Assyria comes in 722, and it's disastrous for the north. And it's in those 30-some years, right before the Assyrian invasion, where Assyria wipes out the north, that Hosea brings his message. As for the prophet Hosea himself, what do we know about him personally? On, uh, on the one hand, uh, we know very little about him. We don't know his occupation. We don't know really as much about some of those personal details of Hosea as we do the other prophets, but on the other hand, what we do know, what we do know is about as deeply personal and about as shocking as we could even imagine. We're told of Hosea's marriage and then his divorce and remarriage to an adulterous woman whose name is Gomer. And if that's not shocking enough, that a prophet of God would be married to an unfaithful wife, then what's really shocking is that Hosea goes 
into that marriage full well knowing that his wife sleeps around. And if that's not shocking enough, here's the one that will put it over the top for you, I think, is when we learn in Hosea that the reason he does this, in short at least, is God comes and tells him to do this. And if you haven't read the story of Hosea before, if you've had or you've forgotten it, and that's just absolutely shocking, isn't it? And you might ask, like I did, the first time I heard Hosea, and again this week as I studied it more, why on earth, why on earth did God have Hosea do that? We get a hint right up front in the book. It's what the book leads with. After its first verse of, you know, um, here's Hosea and here's are his words. As soon as that's out of his mouth, this is what Hosea says in his book. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. Second verse of Hosea, right up front. You're not even settled into your morning devotional chair yet. It's like, wow! Don't let that just roll over you. Imagine if that's you. That's I'm going to serve the Lord. Be faithful to the Lord. Hosea, yes? Go marry the prostitute and have some kids with her. And we also see in that verse at least a hint of why it is that God tells Hosea to do this. Hosea's marriage to an adulterous wife provides the book with its principal analogy and an analogy that carries with it God's principal message, something like this. Just as Hosea has taken an adulterous wife, Gomer, so also God has taken an adulterous wife, Israel. And so Hosea's life becomes a living, literal parable, really. A living metaphor of God and his people, a living example or illustration of God's message through Hosea. Even as he's speaking it, he's living it. Now, I suggested to you in previous weeks that a prophet's message is also often being worked out in his own personal life. Well, Hosea gets the award for that one. I mean, my goodness. You talk about incarnational preaching. And because Hosea has this unbelievably, deeply personal and heart-wrenching insight and understanding of God's message, Hosea's understanding of what God's trying to say to Israel is obviously deepened and enriched by Hosea's own troubled marriage. That personal experience of Hosea in turn gives us perhaps the most intensely emotional window 
into our deeply emotional God. And the most intensely emotional window into God's unwavering, relentless love for even his cheating wife, Israel. We feel when we read Hosea like really nowhere else in the Bible. In reading Hosea, his words, we feel God's great heart break in Hosea. As a husband or a wife's heart breaks when their spouse is unfaithful. And we feel in Hosea's words God's anger and his frustration and his wrestling with his wrath. Even at the same time as he tries to deal with and wrestle with and fit into all of that the deep love that he has for God. We feel this when we read it in the real-life story of Hosea and Gomer and his kids. And in the end, we feel God tell his people and tell us that despite, despite our cheating hearts, God still remains standing, I love you this much. When you read through the entire book of Hosea sometimes, and please do it. Take the time to do it. I hope you do. When you do, you will see God absolutely devastated by Israel's infidelity. And you'll see God almost like he's going back and forth. You know, it seems like he's, he's almost, he's, he's wringing his hands. It's almost, uh, sometimes it's verse by verse. He's, He's talking about the terrible judgment that has to come and must be because he is a just God and the people made the poor choice of, uh, of, of slumming around with other gods and having other lovers as other gods and so the ramifications of your choice which I'm honoring my people, you wouldn't believe the horrible things that now have to happen. And then in the very next verse he's like, well how could I possibly let that happen? Oh, I love my people, and how could I do this? And the next verse, and then Assyria's going to, and they're going to, and he just, it's God's beside himself, not just because he's three in one. <laughs> he's just torn in the emotion. His emotion just, blossoms out of Hosea. It blares. Unlike Amos, who sort of tacks on at the end of a pretty stiff talk about God's wrath, God's wrath, God's wrath. Amos just sort of tacks on and you know, God loves you and is faithful. Hosea just blossoms and revels and just how faithful God is. I love you this much. Some, um, some commentators have even, and I kid you not, there's this group out there that tries to psychoanalyze people in the Bible. And, you know, what were they like? And, the, you know, um, what was their emotional and mental condition? There's, 
And that group, one group at least that studied Hosea, um, that group is convinced at least, or they give the opinion, you know what? Uh, I think Hosea was schizophrenic, <laughs> is what they say. Because they can't see someone going to such, just back and forth and back and forth. No, I don't think he was schizophrenic, but that tells you what one sciences look at, what his personality or what his emotional torment was like. Now, last week I touched briefly on a theological issue that Amos and now Hosea raises. And I want to visit it again because I know from comments after that service and throughout the week in my inbox uh, is something that really touched a chord in a lot of you. So I want to elaborate and return there a bit. And that's that, that's that theological issue um, of God's anger and his wrath. Many people today, and I'll put myself in this group because it's understandable for people to do this. They, they want to shy away from the concept of God's anger or wrath because they consider God's anger the opposite of his love. They see a conflict, and they can't imagine uh, that a God who is love uh, can be that angry. So, so one of them has to go, and they punt and get rid of or downplay and don't talk about much what the Bible says of God's anger. But here's the thing. God's anger is not the opposite of God's love. It's a part of it. It's precisely because God loves all people and all of creation this much that God is provoked to anger, especially when someone causes others to suffer. Anger and love are not opposites. Remember that, uh, here's a helpful illustration, I think. I found it helpful. Maybe you will. Remember, God uh, in the text uh, is pictured as a parent, our father. I think that's helpful here. As, um, as parents of three kids, uh, Jill and I love our kids. But that love doesn't preclude the emotion of anger. Sometimes the actions of my children sparks our anger. And uh, in fact, my kids will tell you, I think, the behavior they know that will most quickly tend to spark anger in Jill and in me is when they do something or they say something that hurts one of their brothers or sisters. or if they back out of a driveway and bump into a car. <laughs> it's precisely because I love all my children this much that I get angry when they hurt each other. And so too with God's anger when 
a person hurts another person. And remember, unlike God's love, God's anger, as both Hosea and all the Bible teach, is momentary. It doesn't last. The psalmist assures us that God's anger is but for a moment, he writes. His favor is for a lifetime. God's anger is sparked by human cruelty and sin and exists for the purpose of changing human behavior. And so when the behavior and sin that motivate God's anger are eliminated, then God's anger subsides. And even when those who who caused others to suffer and spark God's anger, when those same people become victims of human cruelty, God's mercy for them too is immediately sparked because he loves everyone this much. One of my favorite ways in Hosea where God communicates just how much he loves and how faithful his love is is the story of the children of Gomer and uh, presumably uh, Hosea. We're not quite sure if the second two kids, if Hosea is even the father given Gomer's wayward ways. It's really only clear in the text that her firstborn son, it says for sure, is Hosea's. But here the picture even in the, in the naming of these children. Their firstborn son, it's a boy, his name is Jezreel. And we're told his name is to be Jezreel because in the name we want remembered and known that that's the place where the kings of Israel were cruel and shed innocent blood. The second child, a daughter, is named No Mercy or Not Shown Mercy because Israel doesn't deserve mercy. She deserves judgment and death for her actions. And then the third child, another boy, is named Not My People, for you are not my people and I am not your God, God says given your choice to chase after others. Man, those are some pretty rough names for kids. Can you imagine? What what did their friends call them? And as for Hosea and Gomer, Hosea seems to have divorced Gomer. And he says, she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. But then, God's relentless love comes bursting through. And to symbolize God's enduring love, Hosea reinterprets Jezreel's name. Yeah, it was a place where innocent blood was shed, but now Hosea wants to emphasize the name itself literally means God plants. And so Hosea rebuilds his message on a positive image now for his firstborn son, an image of God planting or sowing seeds for, for, for new life, proclaiming, great shall be the day of God's planting. And then Hosea renames his other two children. Hosea is speaking to his firstborn, Jezreel. 
And he says, Jezreel, he tells the boy, say to your brother, my people, and say to your sister, shown mercy. And as for Hosea and Gomer, the prophet, despite her cheating ways, remained faithful to his promiscuous wife, remarrying her. And he writes, I will take you as my wife in faithfulness, he says, and you shall know the Lord. Oh, the Lord's love is faithful in spite of his people's cheating ways because the Lord loves his people this much. My favorite chapter um, in the book uh, is uh, Hosea chapter 11. And I don't have the words for you on the screen because I just want to invite you to listen to these words. They're among, they're among the most tender, most touching passages in the entire Bible. See if you can hear and feel the, uh, the great love of God for Israel and for you. Hosea chapter 11, God is speaking. When Israel was a little child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. But the more I called Israel, the further they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals. They burned incense to images. It was me. It, it was I who taught little Ephraim to walk, taking them by their little arms. But they didn't even realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. I lifted the yoke from their neck I bent down to feed them. Now, are they going to return back to Egypt? And is Assyria now going to come and rule over them because they refused to change? Swords. Swords will flash in their cities. And destroy the bars of their gates and, and put an end to all their plans. My people, they're determined to turn from me. And Hosea adds this parenthetical. Even if they call to the Most High, He will by no means exalt them. And then God continues. How? How can I give you up, Ephraim? 
how can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Edma or make you like Zeboim, two cities that had been utterly destroyed? My heart, God says, my heart is changed. In Hebrew, churned within me. My compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I turn and devastate Ephraim, for I'm God and not a man, the Holy One among you. I will not come in wrath. They will follow the Lord. They will follow Yahweh. I am. He will roar like a lion, and when he roars, his children will come. Trembling from the west, they'll come trembling like birds from Egypt, like doves from Assyria, and I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. God loves his people. God loves people this much. I'll leave you with this and then we'll close in prayer and we'll have a chance to respond in music. One of the things, one of the things we learned from Hosea is that marriage describes the relationship we have with God. Hosea lived that out. <laughs> We're married to God. And so what that suggests is that like in our marriages to our husbands and wives, like in human marriage, we are to be faithful. No other lovers And because God's love language is summarized in loving God and loving others, that when we do something especially that hurts someone, we are being unfaithful in our marriage to God. We're cheating on Him when we hurt And because our relationship to God is like a marriage, maybe today questions from the book of Hosea for us include questions like, how faithfully are we keeping our wedding vows to God, people of God? How faithfully do we stand in our marriage today? In what sense may we have broken our marriage covenant with God? How receptive are we to the love of God as determined by loving our neighbors? How's our marriage to God doing, people of God? Are we a faithful bride? And if we're not, 
If we've wandered or we're prone to wander, the telling of the story of Hosea offers an opportunity to return, to return to the love of God, to begin again, to receive grace even when disobedience is still present and lurking because God is forever standing there, arms open wide and smiling, my dear, dear child, come back. Oh, please come back because I love you this much. No matter what there is, no matter what. One P.S. I have to have at least one P.S. Do you know what Hosea's name means? Your Bibles probably drop a footnote on that one. Hosea is the Hebrew word for salvation. The picture, the analogy of God in the book, his name is salvation. And here's what I didn't know before, or I hadn't read until this week. Do you know what Gomer's name means? I'll bet not many, if any of your study Bibles, dare drop a footnote on that one because nobody really knows. So if you know what that means, tell someone, publish it, you'll get an award. (laughs) But we have a best guess. And the best guess I came across this week for what Gomer means, it may be a play on words in Hebrew. And the best guess is that Gomer means complete or standing for the whole family. And if that's correct, what a picture. Hosea as the picture of God, salvation, is asked to extend his hand in marriage to a cheating wife. Here's the illustration. That's God. That's God to you and to me and to every person who has ever lived, is living, or will live. He is constantly standing there, arms open wide. I love you this much. And in the context of marriage in Hosea, he's extending his hand in an offer of marriage, salvation. And he's asking... And he's desiring that salvation become married to and one flesh with the entire family and becomes complete to all who accept the offer. And so there our God is. I love you this much relentlessly offering his hand in marriage. Will you marry me? Won't you marry me? Because I love you this much, no matter what. And as Hosea's prophetic and poetic imagery 
works its way down another 700 years, God adds the explanation port, explanation point, I love you this much, and I even love you this much. So won't you marry me? Let's pray. Father in heaven, as the musicians take the stage and we have an opportunity to respond for your desire to have us return this amazing, wondrous love, I just want to thank you. Thank you for partnering with Hosea in this way. And my goodness, Father, if you can find, well, I know you can find, if you <laughs> would, find Hosea today and tell him thanks, man, for taking on this mission impossible with not one shred of reluctance or fighting it at all. Thank him for incarnationally living this out so we could read and hear and inspire the story and tell him, tell him that because of his story, we're inspired to love God in return to his love of this much. Help us, Father, to respond to that offer of marriage, to walk with you closer than ever before in marriage. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Remain standing, please, for God's benediction. It's a Paul's words from Romans chapter 8, and most of you, I think, will recognize this famous verse, but did you know that Paul gives us this verse just before quoting from the book of Hosea when Hosea's names of his kids are changed. That's the context that we miss sometimes because there's a chapter break. But listen to Paul's words. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor any power, Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, West Bowles. God bless you all. Have a great day.